The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Exclusive interviews with top newsmakers who share their inspiring stories of perseverance, positivity, and more. Now, here's Martha McCallum. In the wake of the impeachment trial, approval ratings are on the rise for congressional Republicans and falling for some of the Democrats, according to a recent Gallup poll. Since October, Speaker Nancy Pelosi's unfavorable rating has risen from 50 to 55 percent. So what does this mean as we look ahead to the presidential election? And is there anything that can be extrapolated from that? Joining me now with her untold story, Speaker Pelosi's daughter, Christine Pelosi, who is the author of the book, The Nancy Pelosi Way. Hi, Christine. Thanks for doing this with us today. Good to see you, or hear you at least. Good to be here. So it is interesting. That was a Gallup poll that I just cited. It says more Americans approve of of the job congressional Republicans are doing than congressional Democrats by 40 percent to 35 percent. And that was after the impeachment, uh, the whole impeachment uh, saga episode, whatever you want to call it, process. Um, What do you make of that? Well, I think there's two things. First of all, the coronavirus arches over everything. So what people care about right now is, are we going to school? Are we keeping our kids safe? What do we do about older parents or grandparents? Do we travel? Do we not? Do we go to work? Those are the things that people are concerned about right now. And they're looking to Washington, D.C. for answers for a federal response. So I think the most important thing on voters' minds right now is their own personal health and safety in this pandemic So I think that um, any one political snapshot of a poll is probably less important uh, to them than how we're treating this crisis to their to their health. Sure. No, no doubt. I get a better sense a month or two out from now how this all shakes down. Well, it strikes me that one of the things that would improve uh, those numbers perhaps would be for people to see that these parties are coming together because obviously they've been ripped apart um, over the past year or so throughout all of this this process. So, you know, what do you think Speaker Pelosi's feelings are about working with the president to uh, come up with good solutions. I know there's a bill to be introduced tomorrow. Um, there's a presser this afternoon. Well, what's the message going to be? Well, the message is, first of all, the American people's health come first. That's always the most important thing. This isn't about politics. It's about people. And this is not going to be a partisan event. What we're talking about is really basic stuff from what we've been told and the the press releases that have come out since the weekend. You're talking paid sick leave, enhanced unemployment insurance, food security, whether it's SNAP or or, um, school lunch programs, protection for frontline workers, the people who are really the tip of the spear as far as this goes, um, emergency responders, healthcare workers, paramedics, nurses, uh, widespread free testing with treatments, anti-price gouging protections for people and increasing our medical system capacity um, seem to be less interested in a payroll tax cut based on the pressure that it puts on Social Security. But again, these are sort of basic uh, elements that you need short term in a pandemic for people who are asked to stay home and who as yet don't have the scientific capacity to simply take their own temperature and test themselves and from that figure out how uh, viral, if you were, um, 
But I, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, we, we've seen tussles between Nancy Pelosi and President Trump time and time again. Is, is the speaker in the mood right now to say, look, no matter what our prior differences have been, um, it's not about you and me. It's about making sure we come to an agreement. And you know you're not, they're not going to agree on everything because the White House does believe that a payroll tax cut would be a good way to put money in people's pockets and give them you know, their own money to, to use as they see fit rather than expanding programs. And you just said payroll tax does not look that appealing because of the impact on Social Security, but we all know Social Security is you know, going to run out in 2035 anyway, so that's a, a problem of its own, but, but is definitely one for another day. So will that, that be the spirit that the Speaker comes forward with? Well, she already has, and she's already met with Secretary Mnuchin. I, I, I don't, let me say this. I think the White House aide who leaked to one of the publications that President Trump was too personally wounded by impeachment to work with the Speaker did not do the President any favors um, and ought to just focus on calming situations rather than roiling the waters. The fact of the matter is, regardless about how anybody feels about another person, This is about the safety of the American people. And this is about putting resources out there immediately to help. We have um, case studies before in terms of the emergency response to um, Ebola, in terms of the response to the H1N1 flu bug, which hit, um, as you know, what did they say, up to 45 million Americans. So there are things that we know how to do. Those are going to get done. I think it's really critically important to separate people's personal and right. But that right. Just but just get, just to get back to my question. My my question was was is pretty simple. Is the speaker in the mood to say, look, President Trump, whatever differences we might have, you know, let's get to work right now, you and me. Let's do this. She's been, she's been saying that for days. She's been saying that for days, and already met with the Treasury Secretary. So yes, she's in the mood to work because she has been working on this uh, ever since she uh, took a trip to San Francisco's Chinatown district, actually a week and a half ago to say, let's be unified. And by the way, marching with Democrats and Republicans on her tour through Chinatown merchants to say, um, let's not take a racist approach to this. Let's not target Asian-American communities, um, but let's let's work together. So. Well, I think everybody wants yes, that to be the case and wants to see, you know, the House and the Senate and the White House all working in tandem on this. And hopefully that's what we're going to see, you know, as we as we move forward with the, with these bills and get to this, you know, very serious situation that hopefully in, in a in a, a strange way might work to actually bring bring the country together uh, towards a common cause of of health in the country and, and safety and security. Um, let, me, let me ask you a little bit about what's going on in the 2020 race right now. Uh, do you believe that, that Joe Biden will be the nominee? And do you think that Bernie Sanders should drop out or not? I think that at right now, Joe Biden is on a path to win the nomination. Bernie Sanders absolutely should stay in the race and make his case. A lot of people haven't voted yet. And uh, I always think these uh, procedures should be resolved as, as democratically as possible, including something as, as uh, arcane as the presidential nominating process, which, as you know, Martha, has all its twists and turns of delegates and superdelegates yeah, and, sure and uh, caucuses and primaries. Um, it's, it's not as straightforward as a, uh, as a primary that nominates just about everybody else, which is a direct vote of the people for Congress and mayor or senator or governor. So I think if Bernie, um, you know, he, he certainly has um, a very 
compelling vision for the country that he wants to continue to offer. I think that his advisors can see the math. And if he doesn't have a real uh, game changing debate on Sunday night in Phoenix, um, again, I was going to be in that live studio audience. I won't be anymore because it was, <laughs> nobody, will be. <laughs> nobody will be. Uh, but if he has a very compelling performance that might affect his election day results on Tuesday and inspire him to stay in beyond um, St. Patrick's Day, the next round of big uh, primaries, um, so, uh, Ohio, Illinois, among other big, uh, Arizona, among other big tickets. Um, so let's see what let's see what Florida and Ohio and Illinois and Arizona have to say. Those are going to be very key uh, swing districts, uh, swing districts, swing states uh, for the presidency and for the Congress. So I think that you know you're going to see a very um, hearty competition yeah. there. And then if at that point the math is is really prohibitive, um, you know, then that might that might be another story. I also think it would be very interesting if either or both of those candidates, Martha, on Sunday night announced who their running mates were going to be. And of course, I would prefer that each of them chose a woman. The Untold Story continues right after this. Well, I was going to ask you about the running mate question, um, and and I I will. I just want to squeeze in one more while we're talking about Bernie Sanders. His his numbers have fallen from 2016, so that the surge of interest that he had in 2016 is lower at this point in the race. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's two things. First of all, um, as the old expression goes, a souffle only rises once. So you're only fresh and new the first time. Uh, the second time out, it it's a little bit harder to bring um, a fresh new approach. And what you have to do instead is grow your base beyond what you had before. I think that also in 2016, there was really one alternative to Hillary Clinton. It was either going to be Martin O'Malley or it was going to be Bernie Sanders who caught fire in that race among the five people who ran. And as, as a practical matter, it wasn't Link Chafee, it wasn't Jim Webb. So that left um, either Sanders or O'Malley and Sanders really uh, caught the wave and caught um, what was going on. And we had been seeing this since as far back as 2006 when the Democrats won back the House that time, which is this anti-big everything, big bank, big uh, big labor, big business, big church, big you name it, um, big anything people didn't like. And uh, so I think that this time there were 20-some people in the race, not two and so it was a lot harder for Bernie Sanders to consolidate all of that progressive. Energy. Right. But his and message is so different than those other people. I mean, he, he's pushing a form of democratic socialism by his own definition uh, that allows the government to take over health care and also all electric, all utilities, um, all of that to, to give our country a very different feel. And, you know, we've seen surprising numbers of young people who are interested in a government that leans more towards socialism. Um, so does this say, you know, watching all of these counties fall, Michigan, Missouri, all Biden uh, and all away from Bernie Sanders? Does it say that that is a model that America is not ready for? Well, certainly it tells me two things. First of all, the coalition from 2018 is showing up and voting again. More women are voting. Mm -hmm. um, more people um, age 50 and older are voting. More, pe more women who um, are non-college uh, educated, so high school educated or vocational ed are voting Democratic. Um, and so I think that you have uh, a broader 
a product base that, uh, in tw- from 2018 that's carrying over to 2020, and most of those voters are coalescing around Joe Biden. I also think when you talk about the age divide that is very, very stark between um, young people who overwhelmingly in the exit polls uh, favored Bernie Sanders over Joe Biden, I think that that has less to do with them saying, well, let's have a socialist system and all that 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 implies historically. And it's more about them saying, we don't trust the systems that we have now. We don't see uh, careers. We don't see college without debt. We don't see our ability to buy homes and, and, mm-hmm. and, and have health care. And so the label aside, capitalism doesn't seem to have worked for their parents and it doesn't seem to be working for them. So they're looking for something else, whether it's democratic socialism or socialism. I don't know. But Bernie Sanders is offering it and saying to them, demand more. And I think that when the platform is written, it's not going to be written on a model of socialism or democratic socialism. It's going to be built on a model of progressive democratic capitalism with a heart. And it's going to be influenced by um, the trust factor, because in the end, What Donald Trump was saying in 2016 and what Bernie Sanders is saying now is you can't trust these institutions to work for you. And that's why I think the coronavirus um, challenge is so strong right now, because we don't have trust in these major institutions. We are now going to have to lean on them and strengthen them and strengthen basic faith and trust in them um, if we're going to get people healthy and um, be able to come out of this as a stronger country. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see um, as it as it plays out how, you know, how it's so hard to tell right now. I just think it's such an unknown uh, that people don't know whether this is going to turn out to be, you know, just disastrous or whether it will be not as bad as everyone thought. And I know we all hope for the latter um, as we prepare for for the for the first for the former. Um, tell me why you think it's important for the Democratic candidate to pick a woman. Well, women have been the backbone of the Democratic Party and of American uh, society and economy for, um, for, for decades. And I think it's really important to see how when, when women came out and voted, the Democrats won back the House. Women have been very, very strong leaders in all aspects of society. And I think that it's really a shame that as we're looking to the finals of the presidential uh, race uh, that that were down to three white men over seventy. That is to say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tulsi Gabbard has. A but that's who they all voted for, you know, in the primaries. I understand that you, that's true, and some of that is structural. Obviously, the president is the president, and unless he thanks uh, uh, Vice President Pence for his service and puts a woman on his ticket, which I would never put anything past Donald Trump in terms of the 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 wow factor, the surprise factor. But you know, he's the incumbent. So he, he is uh, who he is. And on the other side, on the Democratic side, I think there are a couple of factors there. One, a number of women ran. You know, you had you have several uh, senators who ran as long as well as Congresswoman um, Gabbard and Marion Williamson. So perhaps um, the novelty of having a woman um, wasn't as strong as it was in 2016 when it was just one woman candidate, Hillary Clinton. Um, but second of all, I think also the the debate requirements that you have an individual donor from 40 different states was really hard for the women candidates who were not as well known to to make that debate stage. Uh, the only two who were able to do that towards the end, of course, were Klobuchar and Warren. And I think that if the criteria had been different, 
where um, it was simply a matter of gaining support and not dollars, you would have seen Kamala Harris stay in the uh, to stay on the stage longer. And that could have been when voters are finally voting and paying attention that they have people on stage um, for whom they can immediately mm. cast a ballot. So j- just because, they well, I mean, she had the same opportunity that Pete Buttigieg had voting. and he lasted longer, you know? So, I, I mean, he absolutely did. Yeah. I, I, I just think people vote. Right I don't there. think people necessarily vote based on gender. I think they vote based on who, who they think can get the job done. And sometimes that's a woman and sometimes that's a man. Um, so that being said, before I let you go, cause I'm, I'm going to run out of time and I thank you for your time. Who, who would be your dream candidate uh, to, to be the vice presidential uh, partner for Joe Biden? If he indeed seals this deal? Well, I have a lot of, I have a lot of dreams. I think that Elizabeth Warren would be a very, who I voted for in the primary, mm-hmm. would be a very good unity candidate to bridge the gap between uh, Biden supporters mm-hmm. and Sanders supporters. I think that um, if you are looking for um, a, a, a generational uh, difference, you could go with um, someone from either coast, either Kamala Harris from California or Val Demings from Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, Val would also give you um, a swing, a swing state in Florida, as well as, Interesting. Um, you know, a strong African-American base, a strong um, law enforcement background, both she and her husband are in yeah. law enforcement. So I think that, I think that those two right now would be my two uh, uh, front runners from the African-American community. I also think that, you know, if you went from someone in the middle of the country or the Rocky Mountain West, you could, you could go with um, Catherine Cortez Masto, uh, the Senator from Nevada. Not so Amy Klobuchar. Green candidates. Uh, I, I think that uh, he already locked up the Midwest very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he certainly could pick Amy. I just don't know that it adds something, a different dimension to what um, Biden's already uh, winning on his own and where, our, where he was already doing well yeah. on his own. I would just say one quick thing about Amy. She did run a great race. And if what we wanted was a Midwestern moderate, she would have peaked in June when Pete Buttigieg did. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there's an element of sexism there within my own party. Because if what you wanted was a Midwestern moderate, um, why wouldn't you vote for the woman who had won every statewide race as opposed to the man who lost a statewide race, lost a race for DNC chair and won as a mayor? He's a good mayor and, uh, you know, he has a compelling campaign. But I think if you're talking about objective qualifications, Amy um, was far and away the stronger candidate. But as you say, it's up to the voters. They make an emotional connection as well as an intellectual one. And I think right now, what we're looking for is a dose of inspiration and also someone who has the ability to be president from day one. Definitely. Uh, and I think that's going to be, uh, you know, very strong in the voters' minds. Again, yeah. I'm hoping for a surprise announcement on Sunday well, night. Well, that would make it an do. interesting evening. Uh, you know, that would fill in a little bit of the um, the enthusiasm level that, that we're missing not having an audience. <laughs> so that would be big. Um, good. Well, thank you so much, Christine. And I'll, I'll talk to you on the show live in a little bit, but thank you so much for being with us for the podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the untold story. I'm Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, make sure to rate and review for more podcasts. Go to foxnewspodcasts.com.
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.